Hi everybody, and welcome to The Dry Life, a podcast where we talk about the ins and outs of the alcohol-free lifestyle, sobriety, and everything in between. My name is Kayla Lyons, and I'm your host. Let's get started. Today, our guest is actually the founder of an online sober community called the Retired Party Girls Club. You might know her as Tori. Hey, girl. Hey, Kayla. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Just sipping on some uh, Curious Elixirs. Ooh. For the first time. Yeah. I'm drinking some um, Ken. Have you tried Ken yet? You're a good thing. It's really, really good. Um, you know, Kate Gleason. Yes. We've gotten kind of close because she lives in Seattle and it's like our favorite thing to take little fake shots of. <laughs> it has um, adaptogenics in it, right? That. Yep. Yeah, adaptogens and nootropics. Um, and the mixture together is just, I haven't really felt a buzz from it, but it give you kind of like a relaxing sensation, almost like CBD. Okay. Yeah. I can dig it. So, Tori, why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself for those who may not be following you on Instagram? Sure. So, um, my name is Tori. I am from and live in the Seattle area. I got sober almost eight months ago. It will be eight months at the end of the month. Um, I have had drinks in between the eight months, but I still consider myself fully sober for that amount of time. Um, I started the retired party girl probably three months into my sobriety. Um, it's grown from there and I started an online community for women who identify as sober or sober curious or living alcohol free about a month ago. And that's growing. I host online and in-person events for sober women and, um, it's been a blast to connect with all the people and to make new sober friends all over the world. Yeah. I mean, I just joined your online community, so I'm excited to connect. Yes. Um, I'm excited to see you at the book club. Yes. So I got the book and I'm just finishing a book that my therapist gave me now, but I, I think reading was never something that I used to be into and Mm. sobriety definitely turned me on that. Yeah, there's a few sober books that have like totally changed my life. And I always ask people when they're like, oh, do you have any advice? I'm like, books, books. Oh, totally. Mm hmm. So, I mean, I got to ask, retired party girl. So I'm assuming, yeah, you had a little wild streak. <laughs> <laughs> to say the to say the least mm-hmm. um you know it's funny I, I've heard your story through some of your other episodes and I, I think we have kind of a similar um wild side I mm-hmm. yeah so I started partying I, I drank for the first time I think I was 12 or 13 and some mm-hmm. friends and I had stolen a couple shots of vodka from her parents. And I remember feeling this like warm sensation and really liking it. Um, and then I actually started partying when I was 14. Uh, that was when four locos were really popular. Yes. Before they redid it. So there was like caffeine in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was a guaranteed blackout. (laughs) My poor 16 year old little body couldn't handle it. Um, so started partying when I was 16. Um, never really stopped. 
it just kind of changed form over the years. Um, I think I kind of did it in a more socially acceptable way as I started to get into my 20s and being able to go out to bars after I was 21. Um, and what was socially acceptable is scary. Because uh, yeah. that, <laughs> that included blacking out, um, not knowing how I got home, driving under the influence, uh, sleeping with people I didn't want to sleep with, and uh, getting in drunk fights with friends and putting myself in countless dangerous situations. So I partied pretty consistently for like 10 years. Mm. Yeah. So was there like a moment that kind of made you, you know, be like, all right, I'm done? Or was it just an accumulation, do you think? You know, I was thinking about this today because I kind of figured this would be asked. And (laughs) what's funny is I have so many kind of quote unquote rock bottom moments throughout all of the years. And the last six months I was drinking before I officially stopped were not the worst moments. Mm. Um, I think it was just, I mean, there were terrible moments within that period, but just not the worst moments. Um, so I think that it was a combination and it was Mm. all of the times I had been sober curious and I had kind of read things here and there, um, heard things here and there about being sober. My therapist had been working with me pretty, um, diligently about not drinking and I did not want to hear it. Um, but I think maybe a mixture of her drilling that into me with having a few other kind of bad blackout moments. And then all the years I had put into therapy and kind of thinking about getting sober all came to a head, um, in December of 2019 before the new year. And that's when I finally gave up alcohol for good. Well, just in time for the world end, really. Yes. Oh, my um, gosh. Weirdest timing ever to get sober. I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you can stay sober through 2020, it counts for five years of sobriety. Like, we get an extra totally. five years because this has been such a strange shit show. I just, I really, when it first happened, I was kind of like, yeah, I, I hate social events. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, like, three weeks later, because it was like, oh, now my boyfriend has to go on walks every day with me. And, like, we're not going to, you know, go party and, and you know, hang out with people I don't really want to hang out with. Um, but then I think reality set in, you know, totally. and you're like, okay, fuck. Um, I might lose my job and we can't even go, you know, anywhere. And, I mean, I know, you know, slips are part of your story. And I slipped, you know, mm-hmm. and I was three and a half years in. Wow. And it just felt help. Like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people just felt completely helpless. And it, I don't even know if it was like a, uh, you know, well, fuck this moment, but mm. it just felt like none of the other coping skills that I had acquired in that moment were going to work. And I think that I, it had been so long since I had a drink. So I had kind of romanticized it in that moment. Like, you know, I remember that it, used to take away my anxiety and it used to make me, you know, say, fuck it. And then when I, when I went and drank, I was like, well, that didn't work, Mm. you know? And it was like, oh, well. So did you have your slip up during quarantine? Yeah. So it was like the first six weeks in and it was just, it was a lot. Like I live alone. I lived alone. Now I live with my boyfriend, but before that we were like 
spending a ton of time together for like the first time in a long time. And just, I am not, I need my, I need my space. And also Mm -hmm. sleeping over at his house a lot. I don't, you know, I never blame anybody else for drinking. Like, obviously I'm conscious human and I make my own decisions, Mm -hmm. but being around alcohol was definitely different for me because for the last, you know, three and a half, four years, I lived alone and I did not keep alcohol in my house. And when I would stay over at his house, him and his roommates, you know, did drink, there was beer in the fridge, there was whiskey and vodka on, you know, the table. And I, I tell him, you know, I'm pretty confident in that moment. If we were at my house, I don't think I would have drank, Mm. but you know, the, the flesh is weak and it was there. And I, you know, I don't know how, how your moment felt, but it just, I, I knew as soon as I did it that I didn't want to do it. Right. It was like, you know what, hopefully maybe it'll work. And it didn't. And yeah, <laughs> so, well, I think it just goes to show too, that you can be three years in and still slip up. I, I think there's this totally. misconception, misconception that, um, you get strong in your sobriety and then you just go on and live your life la-di-da and it never crosses your mind again, but you just don't drink. And it's like, it's a constant thing that you have to work on two years in, three years in, you know, you hear of, I know this is kind of an AA saying, but that, you know, you always have to work on it, that you are never not an alcoholic. And I don't believe in that title and putting that on people, but I do believe that it is something you constantly have to work at because it is so thrown in your face in the society. And so you are constantly having to combat what you see and what you feel because they are so different. Yeah. I mean, I I know I'm going to get a lot of backlash. I actually had an interview earlier with um, one of my, one of the local magazines here in Orange County and I called AA a cult. Like I know I joke, I know I jokingly say on the podcast, but like now it's going to be in print. Well, but but it, at this point, I just don't care because right. that's your opinion. You're entitled to that. And I w- I've been in it. You know, I'm not talking from an outside perspective. And I think it really is like it'll it'll come out in the article. Like it's dangerous to tell people like you have a disease. You can't be cured. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you, you know, mess up like you you're going to go to jail or, you know, die Um, you know, how about putting in somebody's head, like, it's okay if you pick up a drink and then realize, oh, fuck, I'm not really into this and stop. But if you have convinced these people that like, no matter what, like your disease, then of course, like your mind is a powerful fucking thing. Totally. Of course you're going to be like, well, fuck it. I'm going to have, you know, 10 more and see what happens. It's really shame based. And I think that's kind of what inspired me to start the club RPG is that there was this great middle area of women who didn't fit into that AA category um, and were perceived maybe by society or by their group of friends as normal drinkers, but they were like, wait, this feels really weird. I'm blacking out. I'm not remembering how I got home. I feel like shit. My mental illness and anxiety is through the roof. I'm depressed. This can't be normal. But society is mm-hmm. telling them it's normal, um, but then they're not sick enough, you know, quotes around sick, yeah. sick enough to go to AA. And so it felt like there was really this like untapped into community of people that I personally fit into. Um, and that's kind of why I created the community Club RPG. Um, 
because there were so many of us that were just kind of in that middle area, but needing community and needing support also. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy to think of how many resources have been made available just in the last like year. Yeah. Instagram is like growing. Oh my gosh. There's new accounts that pop up every day. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I I love it. But it's, it's, and the funny thing is I've heard people, you know, like have kind of some negativity towards, oh, well, you know, sobriety can't be trendy, you know, like it's life or death. And I totally get that. Like I, consider myself in recovery from an alcohol use disorder and from like a drug addiction. So I personally am not somebody who was a gray area drinker. Mm. So I, I get when people are like, you know, this is a life or death thing. It's not just a wellness thing for me, but, but to me, and I think you're probably on the same page. It's like, if you alienate people and you say, well, you have to like qualify to be in this, you know, group, then all those people that you said that might not be willing to walk into a meeting regularly or they think they kind of have some issues but not bad enough to label themselves an alcoholic or, you know, that that qualification line might turn people away. So it's like, well, if we open it up and it's just about, hey, anybody that identifies as sober or sober curious or is just interested in seeing what the alcohol-free lifestyle is like, like you're welcome. Right. And that opens up. And not only that, but then if they do decide to go to AA and then there's all this shame and it's shame based and fear based, then I I just think it kind of backs people up into a corner and it's not always the most successful place to be. No. And I mean, I get it. I hate to bash another recovery program because I don't think, you know, we're not here for that. But at the same time, it's not I would never bash someone for choosing a program, but I think it is time to just like every other, you know, institution to look at it with a magnifying glass and say, okay, guys, like, why are we basing our whole life off of a book that was written like a hundred years ago Mm -hmm. by a A white man? (laughs) Yeah. A white man for other white men. So I'm pretty sure I'm not a white man. Um, (laughs) You sure you that? Know, I, I mean, I'm not, a, that's not how I identify today, but it could be different. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but just realistically, I, I get it. You know, the whole, if it doesn't, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we used to like burn witches and like we sold heroin on, you know, pharmacy shelves like a hundred years ago. So I'm not really sure if we're always getting it right. So yeah, it's, it's true. It's, it's so true. I never felt like I fit into that. I had had tries at going to meetings and then I also did Al-Anon for a while, which I think is great. Al-Anon is yes. for family members of people with addiction. So both of my parents struggled with addiction. My dad with drug addiction, my mom with alcoholism. Mm. And um, I actually watched her struggle with not being able to fit into the AA crowd. She always, she actually said to me multiple times, I feel like AA is a cult. Um so, you know, I, I had a kind of a weird idea about it already. And I, I, my biggest fear was turning into my mom. Um, but it was so great when I found the sober Instagram community, because it was young women who still wanted to have fun, who had all these fun, you know, bright profiles. And it wasn't so like dark and dreary and shameful. It was more like, hey, 
we're a community of girls. We don't like to drink either. And we still have a ton of fun. And that was like the biggest inspiration for the retired party girl. Totally. Cause I think it's an identity at the end of the day. I know I struggled with leaving behind the idea that, you know, I'm not going to be the center of attention anymore. Mm. I'm not going to be the go-to girl. Right. Uh, you know, you kind of have to like, exactly. You have to retire that identity and kind of pass it along and it's hard it is Um, just this last weekend I went on a little mini vacation with some friends from high school and they are a group of drinking friends and I had a moment on our last night when everybody else was pretty intoxicated we had gone to the wineries all day and they were, everyone was pretty drunk. They wanted to stay up and dance. And I had a moment where I really, really wanted to be old me. And I really, really wanted to be on their level and to dance with them. But I also really wanted to go to bed. <laughs> and that was like my, yeah. my, my true <laughs> self speaking. And so I, I kind of had a head to head with old me and new me. And um, in the end, I was happy that new me went to bed, but I I have moments like that all the time where I struggle with who I used to be and I mourn her in a bunch of different ways. And I don't know if if it will always be like that, but there have been several times throughout the last eight months where I've had to mourn party girl Tori. Yeah. I, I mean, it really is a grief process because I mean, I know you talked about it briefly. Um, I know we haven't spoken about it um, person to person, but uh, obviously I'm assuming if you were going to therapy that you were getting treated for, mm-hmm. you know, some stuff and um, that I was too, you know, I've been in therapy since I was like eight, so like 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, and, I, you know, I, I survived for me. It was, it was, I find, I finally found something that made me feel like safe mm. or not even safe. I just wasn't anxious. So it was a very like strange limbo to be in. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> when I gave that up, you know, I think it's obviously like I had a lot of like nasty moments. And for the most part, I really did not enjoy, you know, my wine witch. But, you know, at the same time, your, your wine witch is get you it gets you through what you need to get through you know and and you survive but it's kind of that idea of okay well how you survived is not how you always want to live like this is not you know world war three like with yourself or something so yeah well and I think surviving and living are two very different things and I think Mm -hmm. when we're drinking and we're numbing our feelings that isn't living we're surviving them, we're pushing them down, we're drowning them, we're ignoring them, we're using sex to cope with them, we're obviously using alcohol to cope with them. And so I think when you stop drinking, you're actually forced to live. And a part of living is feeling a lot of those negative emotions, which is, you are sad, you're, you're pissed off, you're aggravated, you're envious it's all those negative emotions it's not like woohoo I'm sober my whole life is like cherries and roses mm-hmm. <laughs> now so but but that's the great part of it too that's on the other side is that you do get to fully feel those positive emotions so for me I felt the most childlike 
joy I've ever felt in sobriety. I felt the most confident I've ever felt in sobriety. Mm-hmm. It's like everything is real. So when I feel real pain, the pain is really, really real. And when I feel real joy and real confidence and all of the positive emotions, that's real also. Yeah. And I think that that's a trade-off worth having. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But sometimes that's easy to forget, you know, when, like you said, when um, you are surrounded by alcohol at your boyfriend's house with his roommates, it's like, ah, was it that bad? Oh, yeah. And I mean, and that's where I think people who have gray area drinking, Mm -hmm. it's like, eh, it's, I think it's harder to stop because, you know, you have less of a reason in some way, like you have less, I think you can validate the drinking more versus, you know, people like me, it's like, well, you know, is it normal to be hospitalized and go to jail? (laughs) Probably not. But, you know, once again, somehow I managed to convince myself that it was, you know, just hard partying because college culture really, you know, condones oh yeah alcohol poisoning and bar fights and oh my gosh god knows what else but yeah I mean it wasn't yeah just not not good not good yeah and even people who think they're normal drinkers I mean you would ask like have you ever done anything that you're embarrassed about the next day and my guess is that a lot of the people would say yes I mean alcohol does not make you act appropriately it lowers your inhibitions and so likely what comes out of that is embarrassing silly stupid mistakes yeah and I think I I kind of had an epiphany uh, of sorts the other week talking to my therapist about you know just our our drinking culture and everything and and having this realization that you know we we can take on the world, but you know, it's, it's small steps at a time Mm -hmm. in order to make big change. And really it's not everywhere that has this like massive issue. And Mm -hmm. even though I'm not somebody who either can probably, I mean, maybe I guess I could have like a glass or two, but I'm not inclined to, because that doesn't really sound appealing to me in any way. Like I'm not, interested in what wine has to offer as far as you know food pairings Mm. or you know taste and I know that there are people out there that that's what they do and there are a lot of cultures that you know use alcohol in a different way and I think for me as someone who's trying to be as open-minded as possible I don't see a problem with mindful drinking in the sense that there's no intention of you know numbing a feeling I totally agree with you I totally agree with you you know and I just because we can't villainize everything like nothing is totally black and white and I'd be lying if I said like I never had a cigarette here and there when I'm like out with our friends and obviously I'm not drinking but sometimes I just want to fit in a little bit and I never always the next day I'm like ew why did I do that you know like but it's it's so hard to expect anybody especially people in their 20s to not have FOMO like Mm -hmm. it's just it's not gonna happen and it's oh totally okay like I get FOMO four years in 
but you kind of have to check yourself like you said and be like okay but like what am I really missing out on that's something I ask myself all the time all the time Kayla like what am I really missing out on you know and and it and I see and it's great when you're a sober person around a lot of drunk people because like I said last week and I went out of town for a friend's birthday and everyone ended up puking oh god (laughs) and I was you know I felt really bad that they were sick but I also it was a perfect example of okay what am I really missing out on nothing nothing I think nothing I've talked about this with you know like Esther from Sober Otter yeah and it's like I'm not going to deny that there are fun times to be had drinking for that exact reason. Your inhibitions are lower. You think everything's funny, you know, whatever, but it's a very risk reward, like give and take. So it's like, would I rather have 20% more fun Mm -hmm. and then pay for it the next day with a shitty hangover and probably forgetting to take my makeup off and, you know, the anxiety that, always comes for me like it wasn't just a Sunday it was an every drink right anxiety so it's just not worth it's not worth it (laughs) but I'm curious when you had your slip up did you end up like drinking a lot and actually getting drunk or was your no so it was and when I look back at it it was just it was so comical to me but I I had like a swig of of whiskey out of the bottle Mm. in front of his roommate and he was like no like he took it away and he's like don't do that you know because they know that I'm sober and you know that that's not what they want to see and um they were like it doesn't count like it's fine you know but then they went back to their room and at that point like I was kind of throwing a temper tantrum um because my boyfriend and I had gone in a huge fight and basically I thought the world that I knew was ending. I thought we might be breaking up. Mm. Obviously COVID happened. I didn't know if I I was going to keep my job or not. And it just felt like, you know what? Fuck this. And then I found some like airplane bottles in, um, in the, in the freezer. And I I think I drink too. Okay. And, and so I was like, you know, like buzzing a little bit, but I was more, more than anything, I was just anger tripping. And so for me, like I have serious anger management and especially when I'm drinking. So like I was lit off of anger. And then I think the alcohol just fueled that and allowed me to be meaner. Oh and, yeah. And I mean, I just, for me, it didn't do anything. Like, I think I realized that after the second time and part of me just wanted my boyfriend to like realize how hurt I was and upset in that moment that like you pushed me to relapse, which is like a terrible reason to relapse (laughs) like yeah no but I totally get that it it was like a a little bit of a form of manipulation but at your own self you know demise so I mean we've all been there and so you know I took it obviously too far I'm like out outside on the deck smoking a cigar because there's no cigarettes and then I I like found half of a course light which is like so gross and (laughs) terrible I'm like yeah right so I'm like making him drive me home and I'm like have this like warm Coors Light driving like he's driving and I'm like listening to the weekend I'm like I'm like trying to be all you know like dark and twisty because that was like my thing I was like the sad girl you know like oh yeah so like damaged goods um and then we just got back to my place and he went to bed and I sat on my porch and smoked 
because my boyfriend loves cigars. So smoked one of his cigars, which like I'm not, I've never been a smoker, but I like to smoke when I'm drinking. Um, Oh yeah. I was the same way. And so I had a whole cigar to myself, which did not feel good the next day, obviously. Oh, terrible. And then I took some of my uh, like emergency panic attack medication, which is uh, benzos, which used to be my drug of choice, which Mm. very dangerous, should not be, you know, mixing them. And it's just like 5 a.m. I'm pouting because I want my boyfriend to come out. He's fucking asleep. And I'm like painting this weird black flower because I like had all these paint canvases. And then I was like, well, like that didn't work. And I went to bed, woke up and had like awful anxiety and was like, that was such a waste of fucking time. Oh, no. Yeah. And I just, I just kept thinking like, what am I going to tell the dry club? Yes. Oh, <laughs> like, my gosh. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, that's the thing is it's, I almost feel like the Instagram community holds you accountable. Totally. That's how I felt too. When I slipped up, the person I was with was like, okay, like I won't tell anyone. And I was like, no, I'm going to tell them because there's just no way I, c- I can keep this to myself. It will, f- I'll have even more anxiety if I don't say anything. Exactly. And I, I can look back at it now and see for me, because I think having so much time beforehand, it really just showed me how far I'd come and Mm -hmm. how my old behavior really had changed. Like I had no, like old Kayla would have like gone in my car and gone to get more alcohol as soon as Shane went to sleep, you know, and just done some shady shit, probably call another dude like, Mm -hmm. and, and just self-destruct. And Obviously, the night wasn't a good night, but compared to what they used to be and what I what I imagined a relapse would look like for me, it was not at all that. And it was more of like, oh, like now I definitely for sure remember like why I'm sober. That was a waste of time. Yeah, that's the other thing is I was going to say is it seems like you fed into that kind of questioning thing in your mind, like what would this be like? And then you got your answer. And that's how I felt after my slip up was, oh, I remembered why I don't do this. So it almost like solidified my sobriety even more. Oh, yeah. I call it my case study now. I'm like, yeah, like I was just testing on my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Yeah, I'm a scientist. It's all good. Social science. Exactly. It is. I'm that I, I stay consumer psychology. So I'm like, and that's kind of like the joke that I tell myself. But part of me was curious. I think we all get curious, especially the more time you get under your belt. And the more, because especially because I don't believe in the disease model. And so it only makes sense to say, well, if you're, you know, if you're better, if you're well, why wouldn't you be able to drink? But it's kind of to that point where, well, when I drank, I didn't overindulge. Two drinks is moderating, Mm -hmm. but it was no longer interesting to me. You know, it no longer is something that I wanted to do. And the next morning there wasn't a desire to keep that going. There was no like spark reignited, like, oh, I I miss this feeling so much. And a part of me, it was almost this bizarre thought process of like, well, now I'm really left out because like none of me enjoyed that. And so if I ever did want to go back to be like part of, you know, social drinking, like that's gone too. (laughs) Like this strange romantic idea of like maybe in the future I'll have a couple every once in a while but even that like it just 
is not interesting to me at all. Well, and I think after you read the books and listen to the podcast and make the friends and hear the stories, you can't unsee or unhear it. And so I felt when I had, so I, I ended up having like a glass of wine when I slipped up Mm. and, um, I, the minute I had the wine, I was like thinking of all the things I've learned and all the friends I made and the community and all these things. And so it almost gave me anxiety. So I'm like, damn, like I can't drink now and, you know, at all give me anxiety. So it, once you learn and see things, you can't unsee and unlearn them. Oh, I'm, especially if you're somebody who, and I think a lot of people do when they stop drinking, they start getting into more of the wellness lifestyle, like exercising, eating properly, taking self-care. And when you live that lifestyle, like I, I used to be a certified personal trainer. And even though I don't train anymore, it's the same thing with alcohol. You can't unlearn what you've learned about the human body, about, you know, anatomy about just consumption and so even like even with the non-alcoholic options like one of the first things I think of is like do I need the calories like do I really need this non-alcoholic beer for no reason like I really only drink them in social settings like some people drink them pretty often but for me it's like it's really just a replacement for when I need to go out and when I really just don't want to have like a tonic and Lime, which is all that was available up until like six months ago. So it's great, you know, and it, it's amazing to try this, uh, the curious beverage because they, uh, they sent me some, but it's not something that I'm doing all the time, even mm-hmm. the NA wine. It's great. You know, it's cool that it's available, but I think once, once you really start being conscious of what you put in your body, yeah. you're like, oh, Oh my gosh. I had that thought this weekend because we went wine tasting and I brought like three bottles of the free or fray wine or however yeah. you say it. I, I, I don't I know how to say it. If, if you do, please let me know. Um, anyone listening fray. to this, please tell me. But I was just like, how much sugar is in this? <laughs> like, is right? this Did I just be drinking water with lemon instead? But that's not a bad thing. I think it's great that we have options. Like I'm totally fighting. Like I'm about to like make I'm honestly about to like go and try and make an initiative to have all restaurants in California have to carry at least one non-alcoholic beverage. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I know that you're doing that hashtag. I think about it all the time when I go out to eat because I get pissed if a restaurant doesn't have an alcohol-free alternative. And then I have to order a ginger beer. I know. And that's so much sugar too. Yeah. I'm so tired of ginger beer. I'm going to freak out. I feel like I get very... um, you know, as us against them in that moment. And yes. Like, I am not included in this. Like I need to speak. I get Karen. Like I need to speak <laughs> to a manager. Like and and even even now it's like, well, everywhere seems to have Heineken, you know, 0.0. I'm like, okay, but like can you do better? I like, actually haven't been anywhere with I haven't been anywhere with Heineken 0.0. I would love to go anywhere where they had an alcohol free beer. Okay. Well girl, what once you get here you'll 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 push it up. That's Which, how I felt. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I, that needs, that needs to happen. But it just, it, it really, it occurred to me and I didn't want to be ungrateful, but at the same time I was like, wait, so all these menus have gluten-free options, especially like I'm in fucking cat, like Southern California. Mm. Um, 
we have all these vegan options, vegetarian, modifiers, whatever. So like everybody here is convinced that they're like living their healthiest, best spiritual lifestyle, but they're really uh, full of shit. Um, and Botox. Um, and yet, you know, you go to ask if there's an option and they don't have one. And you're uh, like, yeah. but I'm pretty sure there's way more sober people than there are like vegans. Like yeah. no offense to vegans, but why do you guys get more options than we do? Like, at least you can eat a salad. You know, what's so funny is like, we are such an untapped into market. Like, I don't know if you saw, but I went card shopping for Kate's, Kate Gleason's six month Mm -hmm. sober milestone, couldn't find anything. So I ended up making my own sober cards, but I was shocked how little options there were even online. Even when I went on Amazon and I typed in sober cards, all these pregnancy announcement cards came up and congratulations on the baby cards came up. And, um, there wasn't like anything for sober people. Oh no, we're totally, totally discriminated against. And I hate yes. to use that word because I don't mean to be like, you know, but, but, but truly, and it's just ever since, and, you know, it hasn't really picked up yet, but you know, sober friendly foods, I honestly make sure to reach out to every restaurant that I've been going to afterwards if they have the option and like thank them because it's like honestly as a sober person and this has been going on for four years and there was nothing up until like six months ago like not O'Doul's not Heineken nothing like a Shirley Temple ew um you know or like (laughs) yeah I got a tonic and lime which is also nasty tasting so (laughs) but I was a gin and tonic girl so you know it was like oh okay I'll do that yeah and now it's like I've gone to places that have had multiple options, you know, that's, or, that's amazing. Or, or an actual like mocktail menu. Oh my gosh. And, that's my favorite thing ever. I like pee my pants when I see that. Yeah. And it just makes me, makes me feel like, you know what? There's so many times that I've gone out with my friends because really the only in real life friend that I have that's sober is Esther from Sober Otter. Oh, do you guys live in the same area? Yeah, she literally was, like, five minutes up the street. So I had no idea. And we don't like to be social. So, like, when we hang out, we don't do social things. So (laughs) I love that. Like, we literally, like, vision board and craft and, like, watch movies. Um, That is so cute. I had no idea. Yeah, totally. And then – but when I go out with, like, you know, our other friends and my boyfriend's friends, you know, they want to go drinking. They want to go, you know, out, out. And that's fine. But I, I want to feel a little bit less like an alien. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the restaurants do that when they offer the non-alcoholic beverage, because it's not just having something in your hand. It is that kind of placebo effect. And, yeah. and like you said, it's a totally untapped market. Like, yes, sell me this stupid $7 non-alcoholic beer. I'm going to buy it. Like, totally. me, I used to buy way more alcohol and like, I will definitely pay $7 to feel like my grown up adult ass self with my alcohol, you know, fake exactly. alcohol, whatever. Yeah. So we're not forced to drink a Shirley Temple or a ginger beer because there's no other options on the menu. Yeah. And I just, it's, it sounds like, you know, my uncle, he's a big drinker and, and he, we were visiting them the other day and he got me some non-alcoholic beer and he was just like, what's the point of this? 
And I was like, just because it makes you feel like you fit in. It's like when you give like a little kid, you know, like a big kid cup or, you know, you let him sit at the big kid table, whatever. Like, <laughs> so you just want to fit in. Like, and it doesn't matter if it's silly, you know, like just give us, it's not, we're not hurting anybody. <laughs> like yeah. let us sit at the big kid table. We're not like these, you know, these, I think people think we're like fragile, you yeah. know, and it's like, right. We can't, most of us can handle ourselves pretty fine. You know, a non-alcoholic beer or whatever is totally your personal, you know, option. If you're, I mean, it took me three and a half years to even try a beer. Cause I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be triggered or not. Yeah. And, I get that a lot. I get that a lot from people on my account saying this could be triggering. You should put warnings. And, you know, I've heard both sides of it that it works great for people. For me, it saved me from slip ups. For mm-hmm. other people, I know I know that it's triggered them. Yeah. So it's it's I think it's the same way like when people ask, like, oh, do you, you know, smoke weed or do you do C B D or THC or any of those things? It's like I've definitely used THC in my sobriety, but I told myself like a year before I did it, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to make sure that I want to do it. And that I'm feeling confident about it. And that Mm -hmm. it's not about like the intention of escaping. And so I thought about it. And you know, like I waited that time period. And then I knew I was ready to move forward. For me, I have a lot of chronic pain and inflammation from a motorcycle accident that happened about three years ago. So I'm in like constant search of like, obviously anything that's not pills because I was like a total pill fiend. Mm. Um, but you know, I, I was confident about making that decision. So I, I tell people in that, whether it's weed or CBD or, you know, whatever, that's not like crack, um, (laughs) be be confident, you know, like, you know, that it's, if it's an acceptable thing or not. Well, and it makes me think back to what you said about like conscious, uh, drinking or mindful drinking um, that if if we are conscious about not doing it to numb our feelings or to escape our feelings then I think it can be done in a healthy way but for me I was drinking to escape my feelings or to feel differently than how I actually felt or to be somebody else or to act like somebody else and so I think that's where it becomes like a dangerous problem and that could be with weed and everything else, just as long as you're not using it to escape yourself. And yeah, and that is an inner honesty thing that you have to work with. I think as a lot of us with substance abuse issues, like I know I struggle with multiple issues. Like I was not this like super healthy person who only had issues with alcohol. Like I had like semi eating disorders. I had like codependency issues. I still kind of do. Um, they, you know, they all stem into each that. other they all totally. are like a waterfall into each other and it seems like when you take one thing out you can focus on the other things oh yeah and but I think it also makes you realize like the order in which your problems kind of stem because I've I've known girls who've had like serious eating disorders who instead of relapsing back into EDs will you know, go hard on their drinking or like, and you kind of replace. So you have to be careful and make sure you're always working on yourself because I know, and I've been honest about it on here. Like I never had like a full blown eating disorder, but I used to like do 
catalog modeling and, and commercial stuff when I was younger. And the pressure to be obviously very thin was intense. And so when I got older and I filled out and, you know, became a woman, I was not having it. And mm. I just, I was part of that like Tumblr thinspo, you know, generation. Oh, like, no. Yeah. Which is like scary. Totally. Just like obsessed with like thigh gap and just collarbones. And, and when I had my like manic breakdown of, panic and agoraphobia I lost like 20 pounds and I was like oh my gosh I'm so skinny and pretty and beautiful you know but when I stopped drinking I noticed that when I would really freak out and lose control and I wasn't doing like I probably hadn't been to therapy in a couple weeks I wasn't meditating maybe I wasn't exercising regularly I'd go and I would purge Mm. because it felt like something that I could control And that was almost something I never, ever, ever did when I was drinking. But I knew I was like, yeah, it's weird. And I think because they're such, they're, they're parallel to me, you know, just all of the different addictive disorders. Yeah. But you have to be careful of what you replace it with. Yes. And if you don't have healthy coping skills in place, you're going to end up putting something else where the drinking was that's unhealthy. And for me in the beginning of my sobriety, it was shopping and um, online shopping. So you're totally right. I think you do have to work on those issues are still there when you stop drinking, if they're more there. Mm -hmm. Um, So you do have to have like the healthy coping skills and like a toolbox because you take away the drinking and then you actually have to deal with them. Oh yeah. It's like surprise bitch. Yeah. Surprise. Remember me? But I, I think that's, ugh, yeah, I, I, I tell newcomers or, you know, whatever anybody wants to call themselves newbie, um, like it will definitely get worse before it gets better, but expect that. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think when you expect that it's okay. And you feel confident about that, but I definitely sometimes worry about, Instagram glamorizing sobriety too much like yes we have fun yes this is a way 100 fucking percent better lifestyle but you're not going to stop drinking and rainbows are going to fly out of your butt like you have to do the work (laughs) in order to get to a place where you are well because if you just stop drinking you're still going to be really fucking unwell and now you just don't even have that coping mechanism so like One of the biggest things in all of the books you'll ever read about like habits and behavioral changing is you must replace your habit. So a lot of people I've seen do that with like food Mm -hmm. in early sobriety or sugar. Sugar. My gosh. Yes. Yes. That was an issue. Yeah. Or shopping. I mean, I'm still a fucking shopping freak. So. Oh God, I, don't even, I know, I, I tried to be like, that was the beginning of my sobriety, not anymore, but I definitely still have an Amazon problem. But to me, and I, and I laugh, and maybe this is totally validation, um, but like, okay, I'd rather be like spending a little bit too much on like leggings than <laughs> having my boyfriend like bail me out of jail in the morning. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a trade-off. I totally do that too. I'm like, okay, I'm spending a little bit of money on this right now, but I'm also not spending $300 on drinks. So. Oh yeah. Like and spend Ubers. $300 on a freaking go to Lulu. Like, exactly. 
and it's it's loving yourself and knowing like rewards are good rewards are okay like if you really really want to break a bad habit and make a new one you have to a replace something so stop drinking and start reading or start exercising whatever for me it was like exercising was my life it still is my life but like like 100% I would just go to the gym for like three hours after rehab and not even work out the whole time I would just be there because I was like Mm -hmm. afraid to be anywhere else yeah and it it just that and then rewarding yourself with like okay I didn't drink for a week I'm gonna go get my nails done or I got 30 days sober and you know I really wanted this new pair of shoes or a new band for my watch whatever you know like I, I really truly believe in in putting those things down on paper and giving yourself rewards and goals to make because there's proof that you will have a higher chance of succeeding at your goals if you reward yourself and if you have some sort of visual plan. Oh, I totally agree. I do this thing where every like big milestone that I hit, I get myself something that I have been wanting. So my last milestone, I think for my six months, I got myself like a really cute kind of pricey lack of colors hat that I really love but I love like thinking of something in the future like oh when I hit one year I'm gonna do this or when I hit my nine month mark I'm gonna do this and so I totally am a huge believer in rewarding ourselves it's just sometimes I reward myself a little too much but no girl treat treat yourself exactly and I love them I just call them treats like yeah just get some treats and (laughs) (laughs) and it's funny but when you when you look back at it it shows such progression because I literally never in a majillion that's not even a number um, (laughs) majillion um, majillion years did I think that I would be like four months alcohol free like I couldn't go a weekend without drinking like it was unfathomable so now it's like, you know what, if I want to reward myself by like buying something ridiculous, like as long as it's not like too ridiculous. As long as you're not buying like a jet plane, I think we're in the clear. Yeah, but I'm if like, you go get I'm, yourself a pair of Lulus, I support you 100%. Totally. And I think it's, it's cool to, to look back. It, it also gives you this like milestone kind of internal journey that you, uh, to me, because I don't really, you know, not going to AA, not counting chips, not really counting days either, except for the big, the bigger milestones, you know, the six months and the half years and the years, um, giving yourself those rewards and seeing how your rewards progress and seeing how your time progresses, Mm -hmm. where it's like, you used to not, you used to like reward yourself for seven days. Yeah. Right. Like that was your goal because it was so hard to make it seven days. And now you're like, oh, six months. Like, think about it that way. You know, like think about you, you you know, a couple months before you ever got sober. Like, that's who I have to think of. I have to think of like Kayla at her fucking rock bottom. I couldn't even leave the house. Like when I I got off the benzos and the drugs that I was on, I was a basket fucking case and they had me on the wrong meds and I was suicidal like 100% totally did not want to live anymore and I think about that and then now when I have like really fucking bad days when I'm like you know what I didn't practice my driving because for me driving is a huge PTSD thing and or 
you know, I didn't exercise today and I get mad at myself. And I'm like, why am I mad at myself? Like, yeah, you're doing uh, so much hard work. Yeah. So I think showing yourself compassion definitely is so important, but so hard. Well, and something I always say too, is my worst day sober is still better than my best day drunk. So like my worst day sober is still better than me numbing out my feelings, having a shitty hangover and like you smoking a ton of cigarettes because I'm drunk and then waking Uh up and not knowing what happened. So even on my like shittiest day sober, I'm still better than my best day drunk. Oh, yeah. I, I just I. I worry for people if you struggle with mental health. Oh, yeah you know, what even moderate drinking can, can be doing, even if you're not blacking out, even if you're not, you know, crazy party girls, like we, (laughs) like Like we, (laughs) like we, um, it just, it, I, I wish I could look back. Cause like, for me, it was like severe PTSD, panic disorder, anxiety, um, and I tried all these different medications and therapies and nothing was really working. And then when I started drinking, it was like, oh, you know, and for me, it was like the drugs, especially I was like, oh my gosh, like I've, I've found, I forget what they used to say. Like, this is it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. um, but in reality, it literally was just not making any of my medication work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm on Lexapro and there is no fucking way that shit was working when I was binge drinking. Like what nope. the hell? Yeah. So no, no, no. And for the first time since I've been sober, my medication's been working and I'm, you know, it's really nice to live my life with minimal anxiety and actually yeah. have my medication work. And it takes time. And I, I, cause what that makes me laugh when people are like, Oh, well, you're not really sober. Cause I take effects sir. I'm like, well, that's funny because like, are you trying to like take some of my meds? Like, good luck with that. Like it'll take four to six weeks. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's not going to get you high. Trust me. It's just like, exactly. I mean, mental health meds, I have a hard time when people say that too. Like, oh, you're not sober because you're taking antidepressants or anti-anxiety. And the funny thing is, is you could take three of my Lexapro right now. You're not going to feel a buzz or feel high. It's, it will do nothing nothing for you. One and two, it just, it saves my life. So excuse me while I don't die. No, totally. I, I would love to have a discussion with, you know, a medical doctor on this podcast about this subject, because obviously we're not medical professions, but we are people who've been taking these meds. And if anybody knows, you know, it's an SSRI, it's a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Like all it does is help your brain reabsorb serotonin that your brain is already making, but maybe due to a chemical imbalance or you know, damage from substance abuse, your brain doesn't absorb the right amount. So it's like you, what are you going to do? Make somebody suffer because they can't like get enough serotonin. Like you're not going to like, that's where people I think are so misled to this idea of like, Oh, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication. Like you said, you, you're not going to get high. It's not going to do anything. It takes weeks to even start to work. If you have a problem, let alone if you don't have a problem. Exactly. It's just silly. And and that stigma against people like, well, I don't want to be on meds. I don't want to be on medication forever. 
It's like, if you need to be, who cares? Like yeah. no one cares and nobody should care anyways. Like it's not, it's not like the same thing I think as like, you know, having to take opioids forever. Cause that's very dangerous. It's very bad for your liver. There are other, you know, problems that come with that, but there are like real, no long-term side effects to taking SSRIs. Right. Yeah. And if, and if it's what you need to do, which in my case it is, then I mean, I'm still sober. I just need to take my anti-anxiety or I am a complete nutcase. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. And so I think anybody listening that thinks like, oh, maybe I, I need that, like explore it, find a good psychiatrist, look on psychology today or like ZocDoc and, and talk to them about it because if you're already doing everything, like I know that I exercise, I ate healthy. I tried to sleep as much as possible, like do all the things to be quote unquote happy or not anxious. And I still was crawling in my skin. And I'm like you, I take my effector every day and Mm -hmm. it just makes it so my foundation level is not like miserable. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. And, you know, the thing with drinking, stopping drinking, mixed with having my, you know, I think a lot of my anxiety was caused from the decisions I made while I was drinking. So taking that out and then also giving my medication the chance to work has created almost this, like, I think you said earlier, rainbows coming out of my butt, almost this feeling of rainbows coming out of my butt. But, you know, obviously I still have hard times and I still have anxious days, but it's been like night and day as far as my mental illness. And when people ask like, why'd you get sober? Why'd you get sober? And that's my number one answer is mental health. Like it has changed the game for my anxiety. Oh, totally. I, I get, I got called out today or I called out one of those like big anxiety mantra accounts. Cause oh. she like put a picture up and I get it. Like it was a misunderstanding kind of, um, but, like, I'll troll so hard. I, I was oh. like, um, excuse me, mental health and alcohol do not, like, belong together. Hello here, no. And oh, she my gosh. personally messaged me and was like, that wasn't the point. Like, it was to communicate, like, that people with the same mental illness should meet. And I was like, I also don't know if that's a good idea either, lady. <laughs> like, Oh, my God. Yeah, there's so many accounts where it's like they pride themselves on being – mental health accounts, but then you'll see it's saying it's like wine o'clock or all those like ridiculous kind of drinking memes or whatever. And I'm like, no, if we're talking about mental health, we need to talk about the dangers of alcohol and drugs on our mental health. I know it really pisses me off. And I know, you know, everybody should be allowed to call themselves what they want, blah, blah, blah. But I just saw that the other day, like this girl, like two days ago, this girl had posted a picture of her meds and had this really great post about, you know, taking medication is okay. It's, it's great. And I was like going to go follow her and in her profile, it's like mental health advocate. And then like two Mm. pictures down, it's like her holding wine. And I was like, no bitch, like you're not a mental health advocate. Okay. Like you can be a lifestyle influencer, but you're not wellness, you're not health and you're definitely not mental health. Right. it seems like we we forget to talk about that when we're talking about mental health. And it's so strange. I've heard so many stories of women I talk to 
through Instagram who say they went to the doctor to get on meds or because they're having some type of mental health issue. And the doctor doesn't mention, hey, are you drinking? Hey, do you casually do coke on the weekends? Like, these are things you should stop and then come back and see how you're feeling. It just is. It's so ignored. And, you know, it's it's not talked about. And when we talk about mental health, and it it needs to be at the forefront. It's just so like and I always sound like such a conspiracy theorist but I like will go deep it's like it's such a money maker for this country like big alcohol that I totally get why nobody is attacking it like I get why oh we're having an opioid epidemic like yeah kind of like 12,000 people a year that's a lot but like 88,000 people is like kind of more just saying and so but I get it because our government's not making any money off of you know heroin and but they're making a shit ton of money off of, you know, alcohol taxes. Oh yeah. Small businesses and big businesses open. So like I get it from an economic standpoint, you know, there's a reason why the prohibition didn't work, but people were also not educated on, you know, the long-term or even short-term effects. And so it's like, now we're in this age where everybody's claiming to be so health conscious and so spiritual. That's true. And it's like, okay, then put your money where your mouth is. Like if you are really super into wellness and you really are so present, you know, then I don't think you should be drinking at all. And, you know, I don't think that that cuts into the mindful drinking because I think that's a different kind of person. I don't think somebody who's claiming to be an advocate or an activist, I don't think you can really do both. I think it's, it's hypocritical. Yeah. I, I think that, I mean, in all the books I've read, and I'm sure, you you know, like Quit Like a Woman, Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, mm-hmm. all those books, Laura McCowan, uh, We Are the Luckiest, they talk about how even one glass of wine or one beer, we are immediately, um, our inhibitions are lowered. And so, yeah, I believe in moderation. I believe some people can do it. I also just know that no matter how much you're consuming, it's a poison. It's not good for Hold you. On. And it's going to have, and it's going to have negative effects. And who wants one glass of wine? Ew. I know. Right. It's like 10 or nothing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, sure. I'm sure that's like just the way that some people think. Right. And I, I get Myself. it. I don't get it. Yeah. Like it, yeah. I just, I'd rather like, if I'm going to have wine for the taste of it or whatever, okay, I can have a non-alcoholic wine, but if I'm trying to get fucked up, yeah, like, or I'm trying to have a buzz, like, why one glass, dumb, like, just, it didn't never, <laughs> nothing, and maybe that's the whole, you know, everyone's, oh, the alcoholic mentality, but it just makes, it doesn't make any sense to me, it's like, why would you want to go halfway, halfway there? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, a perfect example, though, of, 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 you know, I think both of our slips is, like, that realization of, like, this is really not for me anymore. No. Yeah. And I, and now I, I think about it. I think before I had my slip, I was like, oh yeah, maybe one day I'll moderate or yada, yada. And now I think I'm at the point where I'm like, this is a forever thing. And my slip kind of helped me get to that mindset. Yeah. And it's, it's not a bad thing. I think it's the whole like, oh, I can never drink again. It's like changing your perception. It's, I don't have to drink again. Not, I can't ever drink again because I, I can promise a ton of people that if you do do the work and you really do build a lifestyle that doesn't involve alcohol, 
trying to fit alcohol back into it really doesn't work. Yeah. Like I, I like to go, you know, spinning on Saturday mornings. Like, is that going to happen? No. And am I going to give up that? No. So you, I would say to this over new person, like build a life that you don't, don't want to numb, numb from. Yeah. Like build a life that is worth staying sober for. And that if you really, you know, like that keeps you accountable because you, people, I used to be, I used to laugh at people like me, like, ew, people drinking green juice, going to soul cycle, like, you know, what the fuck? And now it's like such a reversal of like, I'm totally drinking green juice and like being probably like, you know, annoying as fuck, but I don't care because I'm healthy. So it's, it's you know, I you think the more sober you get, the less you care about what people think. That's so true. And you get, you get comfortable in your sobriety and comfortable with who you are as a person and you get to like yourself, like actually like yourself. Yeah. And um, your confidence is coming from a real place instead of Mm -hmm. any type of false confidence. And that that's been like one of the greatest joys and blessings in my sobriety is actually knowing myself and then loving myself. Yeah. And I, and it's hard, you know, after, especially after you make mistakes or after you go through a really rough period, but then you realize like, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty cool. Like I'm okay. <laughs> I'm not so bad. And yeah. <laughs> um, I'm actually the shit and yeah, I don't have to then, drink. And then you get like on your sobriety high horse and there's a whole a roller coaster of like, I'm totally shit. I'm worth nothing. And then you're like, fuck everybody that doesn't drink or that does drink they're lame and then like you just keep going and then eventually you kind of like mellow out a little bit right (laughs) and you find a happy medium there is a happy medium and I I do feel like I'm the most balanced I've ever been and I blame that solely on sobriety Mm -hmm. is it's created a balance in my life that I didn't know existed because when you're drinking extremes it's so extreme your life and your actions and your feelings and everything is so extreme. It goes from one extreme to the next. And I found, and sometimes it feels boring, I won't lie, but yeah. I have found a balance in my life that I have never known before. And I, and that's all because of sobriety. And I don't think boring is bad in this context. No, no, that is so correct. My therapist tells me that all the time. She will love that you said that when I sent her this. Um, but yes, boring is not always a bad thing. And I get it. Like, I'm sure a lot of us are like drama addicts. Like I was a total drama addict. Oh, I'm still such a drama queen. It's totally unbelievable. It's like you enjoy toxic situations. You enjoy unemotional, emotionally unavailable people. Yeah. You know, like I'm sure I could write like the perfect Tinder profile for like the sober girl and just like generalize and it would speak to a lot of, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people, but. Oh, Yeah that doesn't go away like away right away and then but once you start filling your life with like healthy people and healthy things and stuff it does seem like really kind of mundane at first but then you're like well really this is nice I'm just like not fighting with everybody all the time or picking up the pieces of like whatever the fuck I did Friday night or exactly The, the stability and the structure and being able to count on yourself feels really nice it it just it feels like you can depend on yourself you can trust yourself you can trust your situation yeah and it, it's okay and I think 
a lot of us are so used to like the trauma and the discomfort. So when you're finally in a good place, you're like, I'm either undeserving of this or like Mm -hmm. something's wrong because everything is too good. And now I have to fuck it up because like, like, I just, I don't want the, you know, I, I I have to fuck it up. Like I have to self-destruct because I know something that's coming and I'm going to just make it happen first. Right. Yep. That's like the self-sabotage thing. I'm so good at that. But don't speak, do in my, yeah. speak, speak in my language. I think it just, you know, I don't like to umbrella people, but I think a lot of people who use substances have a lot of the same thought processes. Totally. And I think we come from a lot of the same traumas. Like I was, yes. I don't know why I was surprised, but I was surprised to see how many of the people in our community, sober Instagram community, had also had parents who struggled with substance use disorder mm-hmm. or Um, had their own issues with substances, however they want to call it or title it. But um, we all come from kind of a similar place. We all love people. We all love helping. And I'm not trying to generalize either, but even just creating the club RPG community, I'm like, wow, we have so much in common. Where have you guys been my whole life? Yeah. And that's the, the, the best part I think about this Instagram community is being able to connect with so many people who you would have never gotten the chance to meet or connect with in real life and really getting to know people who understand you yes, and and who are like-minded and you don't even have to live in the same, like it is cool when you do get to meet people locally, but I, I really have faith in the online community and I think it, it will work for people. Yeah, definitely. It, I know it seems like, You won't be able to connect virtually, but I have connected with so many women virtually and it feels as though we are real friends and I am confident that one day the world will be semi back to normal enough for us to like have a retreat in Mexico or something. I'm still holding out hope for that. But yeah, I I do think even if you aren't in the same area, it's totally possible to make sober friends virtually. And, and the thing is too, I think as we're getting older, realistically, it's just harder to hang out with people. Oh, yeah. People have their own lives, families, you know, everything like that. I used to give my friends such shit. And then I moved in with my boyfriend and I'm like, oh, no one. You're like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like we don't, we don't have any time. And then by the time we're done making dinner, I don't want to fucking go do anything. Exactly. Yeah. I totally feel that. You have to plan so far ahead to make these girls nights or to make, you know, couples dinner dates, all this stuff. And because now, now I'm maintaining a house for the first time. And yep. it's just like, it's so cool now to have people who I can text with or FaceTime with, or just send a, a funny meme who get it because yes. I love all my like normie friends, but yes. I love following like all the, like the dank recovery, all like the fucked up recovery memes because like the fucked up part of me gets it. And I'm like, haha, Xanax, like you blink and then, you know, you're in jail. I'm like, haha, like this person gets that. Like, yeah. <laughs> send that to my normal friends. They'll be like, what's wrong with you? Right. Like, I don't know. I thought it was funny. Like, yeah. I'm there. <laughs> yeah. I think it's good to have like a good mixture of your quote unquote normie friends and then your sober friends because for me, they offer me different things, but mm-hmm. um, both, both important and the overarching thing is that they both respect my decision to be sober yes normies are cool you can be friends with normies you can be friends with normies that's as long as long as they respect your sobriety yes 
fuck everybody that doesn't respect their sobriety. Agreed. Not, just not literally. Like, don't. Yeah, um, don't actually fuck them, but <laughs> don't be friends with them. <laughs> yeah, you can't sit with us. <laughs> yes. So, Tori, the way I like to wrap up with the podcast, as I'm sure you know, is to ask you the question that to anyone who's listening who would be, you know, in early recovery or maybe on the fence, or if you could talk to Tori nine months ago, what Mm. would you say? Oh my goodness. This is tough. Um, I think if you are sober curious, if you have even the tiniest percent of curiosity in you to reach out to the sober Instagram community, it has saved my life. It has given me so much more than I could have ever imagined. Um, it's given me friendship, connection, community. Um, so many of us want to connect with you. And I would also say to pick up Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker, especially if you're a woman. I loved the way that she worded sobriety as a social issue. And it made me strengthen my feminism, but also my feminism and how it relates to alcoholism and big alcohol. And that Mm -hmm. totally changed the game for me. Um, And to go 30 days. I like to say the first 30 days is the toughest. But if you can get through that and kind of see the positive impact that not drinking has on your life, um, you will not want to stop. And Tori, where can they find you? Uh, Retiredpartygirl.com is how you get to my community. And at the retired party girl on Instagram is how you can find my Instagram. Amazing. Thank you so much for being with us today, Tori. Thank you so much, Kayla. It was so fun. And I'm looking forward to reading this book. Okay, so. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Dry Life Podcast, a podcast about alcohol-free living. If you want to connect with us, you can do so on Instagram at 1000HoursDry, or if you're looking for a little bit more support, we recently partnered with an app for Apple iOS, which is called Digital Sponsor, that you can look up and get full support, tools, and an accountability guide for our 1000 hours dry challenge. So check it out and we'll see you next week on the dry life podcast.